Well, good morning, 360 family. We continue our conversation about prayer. We've been in this, uh, this collection of uh, talks now for uh, three or four or five weeks. And today we're going to talk about something that we'd probably prefer not to talk about when it comes to prayer, because prayer is inspiring. Prayer is that, that thing that kind of you know, engages us in a, in a warm and fuzzy way, like, ah, oh, man, prayer, speaking to God, etc. But there is, a, there is a part of prayer that's tough and, and a part of, that is, is hard to understand. And, and I, I don't want to have an entire collection about prayer and just focus on those, those things that we do get. We also want to talk about the things that are sometimes challenging. Otherwise, what happens is you become solo and you think, gosh, it, it must just be me. I, I, I'm not, I, I guess I'm not doing it right. I'm not doing it well. Or there's something in my life to blockade that. So that's kind of where we're going to land today. In my generation, we grew up in, in, uh, in such a way that we, there was certain information that we didn't uh, ask. We knew we weren't entitled to it. Uh, men's salaries. We didn't ask about each other's salaries. I grew up in my home, 18 years in my, in my house, and uh, I, uh, to this day, never don't know what my father's salary was. It was something you didn't ask. You weren't entitled to that information. You didn't ask about women's age or weight, uh, <laughs> especially my grandmother. Uh, I literally don't know how old my grandmother was when she died, and I certainly don't know how much she weighed. Uh, it was a no-no question. However, in this generation, do you see the trend? It's almost we feel entitled to full disclosure. We feel like we should know the salaries of, of CEOs and athletes and political figures that we're entitled to know that information as we often roll our eyes at the amount once we figure it out and find out. We feel like we should know the conversations that take place in the Oval Office. WikiLeaks and, and says that you ought to know the intel of this country, that you ought to know all the information that's happening but I would propose to you that there's some information that we shouldn't know, that we're not entitled to, and it's okay to have a certain level of mystery and unknown. And so it is when we come to God, because we're more advanced scientifically, we're more savvy intellectually, we're more connected globally. We feel that we should know why things happen and what God is up uh, uh, up to. Why is there so much poverty? I'd like to know. How come there's so much in social injustice in the world? Why doesn't God do something about this? And many people say, I'm not going to even lean my belief toward God until I know these answers. That's a prerequisite for us to have full disclosure. Now, Jesus came and he made God more friendly. To be honest, he made him more touchable, as the Apostle John says in his first letter. Speaking of Jesus, he said, that which we have touched, that which we have seen, that which we have heard. God came to us and made himself more tangible through Christ. And yet, even though he is our savior and our friend, we're also told that God is still mysterious. And there's a vast level of things about God, his motivation, that, that we, we don't understand. Let me frame today by a few scripture verses, and then we're going to land today. Sometimes we plant in one place, 
in Genesis chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, then you can go ahead and kind of navigate toward that. Sometimes we move all around, but today we plant, and sometimes good to have that in front of you. Otherwise, we'll, we'll have all the, the Bible verses and passages on the screen as well. But before we get to Genesis 15, let's just frame a few things about God. Job chapter 11, verse 7 says this, can you, God asking, can you discover the depths of God? Can you discover the limits of the Almighty? Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things revealed or the things he chooses to reveal, it doesn't reveal everything, then belong to us. There is a distinction. Here are the secret things that God knows. Here are the things he chooses to reveal. The two are very separate things. But the things revealed to us and to our children forever that we may follow all the words of the law. Romans chapter 11, 33. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments, and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? The answer is no one. So when it comes to prayer, now let's, let's bring to the forefront that topic which is challenging, the topic that we perhaps would rather avoid speaking about, and the topic is this. When God says no, when God says wait, when God says maybe, when God says not yet, when terrible things have happened and we can't figure it out, now we talk about the mystery of prayer that nobody can figure out. Why does God say yes to some people? Why does God say no to some people? Why does God say yes to you sometimes and no to you sometimes? Why do I have to wait on this thing? Why can't I get beyond this thing, this habit, this person, this job, this situation, this territory, this geography, this whatever thing is, that thing is? Everybody in the room has had those moments and in intersections where we ask God, why? Why me? Why now? Why him? Why not him? <laughs> and in that we find what I refer to this morning as the mystery of prayer. You know, we could have named this the frustration of prayer, the angst of prayer, the, the, the short end of prayer. And even for those who have given their lives, the Apostle Paul is, is someone that, I, I honestly, I don't know how you're more full throttle for Jesus than a guy like that. If you read his life, he gave up everything. He gave up his personal life. He gave up his physical life. He gave up everything. He, if you don't know, he wrote a lot of the New Testament that we have. He died for his faith. And there's a time that, that is recorded in, in the New Testament that Paul tells about, kind of autobiographical style. He says, hey, I was caught up into heaven, and I actually saw and heard things that I can't even describe to you and because of that, there was, there was a, as he refers to, a, a messenger of Satan sent to me to give to me a thorn in the flesh so I wouldn't get big, a big head, so I wouldn't be conceited. Watch this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and then we'll jump into Genesis 15, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, Paul says, in order to keep me from being conceited, 
because right before this, he's talked about, I was caught up in the heaven, saw amazing things. I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded, not asked, not like a gentle, mild devotional time, personal time with God. I pleaded. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. See, God is kind. And if you, don't, if you need some tips on you know, how to say no, this is God's way of saying no. God, I'm pleading for you that you take this thing away. Bottom line, no. Not wait. No, not, not yet. Nope. No. The answer is no. Paul comes back again. He comes back a third time. God, please. No, I'm sorry. It's not, it's not going to happen. It's a tough position to be in. We're in that position as parents. I had, I had you know, our kids will say, hey, can we do this? I'm sorry. No. And then what do they say? Why not? Why? Right? And we're the same. Why? You know, you think, Paul, Paul, please, God, take this away. No. Okay, thanks. You know, no. He comes back. God, please, I'm not, I'm not getting it. That's why I love the Bible. It's not just a string of, like, inspirational people that, you know, like Mother Teresa's are, and we think, wow, we'll never do that. We'll never be that. Here's a guy who said, no, I went back to God. Now, it's interesting, you know, there's a lot of speculation on what was that thorn in the flesh. Some people say he had bad, bad eyesight because there's a place in the Bible where he says, hey, see my big handwriting? There's some people that say it was a personality, a person that was just like, you know, just hassling him, etc. I don't, I, I'm not going to spend the time, you know, really wasting our time on what that was, that thorn in the flesh, but here's what we do know. The word torment that he uses, it is a strike of a closed fist. That's the original word. You know what that so in our language, it was a gut punch. Bam! Oh! And when you're down here, oh, it's really hard to understand. Maybe it's a breakup. Maybe it's a job loss. Whatever the thing is, go through the long list of standard things or things that we don't even talk about. And that gut punch causes us to become kind of in a micro view. We ask, oh, God, you got to explain this. I, I need some answers. W- what happened in my, my life? And, and, and I need confidence to know, give me some, something to hang on to. Like you're on a subway, you need a handle to hang on to. Because there are times in our lives where in that moment, the film starts playing. Sometimes that film says, you know what? God doesn't really like you. You know that thing you did three years ago, three minutes ago, 30 years ago, you know that thing? That's why it's happening. You ever had that film playing in your mind? Even though you've settled it with Jesus, you're like, hey, man, the cross, God forgave me. But all of a sudden, when you've got the gut punch, somehow it comes back up. Yeah, that's what it was right there. And sometimes friends like Job don't help much, do they? (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly what it was. What'd you do? Come on, fess up, fess up, fess up. So as we look today in Genesis chapter 15, we're going to find, I believe, in this mystery of what we would call the black hole of prayer, 
we're going to find some things that I believe that you'll be able to walk out the door with and hang on to, the handle on the shaking train. Because God created us to have experienced a certain level of mystery with him and yet not walk around blinded at the same time. So we begin in Genesis chapter 15. Let me give you the backdrop. Many of you know it, but three chapters earlier in Genesis 12, we're introduced to a man named Abram. God changes his name to Abraham. God did that sometimes in the scripture when there was a life transformation or a covenant or promise. Jacob's name was changed to, uh, to Israel, and uh, Cephas was named, renamed Peter, and so God did this, Abraham's wife, Sarai, to Sarah, and so uh, there, were, there were purposes behind all of this, but for our purposes, just so you're not confused, you'll sometimes see Abram on the screen. I'm just going to say, hey, let's, let's call him Abraham. That was his ultimate name. So Abraham was introduced to us in Genesis chapter 12. At that moment, he was 75 years old. God came to him and says, I'm going to make of you a great nation, which would require having a child, 75 years old, same biology back then as now. It was a bit out of stretch to think that a 75-year-old man could have a baby and his wife was not that much younger. And so God came to him and says, I'm going to make you a great nation. And we're told that Abraham believed and God credited him as righteousness, you believed that's going to be a plus in your column. And so then we go to chapter 13. Chapter 13, when Abraham moved out of his former country called Ur to the promised land where God was taking him, he took with him his nephew Lot. In chapter 13, we find that there were some issues going on in the family. That's highly unusual. I know you have no issues in your family. And they decide to amicably part ways. And so once Lot parted his way, God said, hey, come over here for a second. Probably stood on an elevation. He said, look into the promised land. And when he looked into the promised land, God said, you see north, you see south, you see east, you see west. I'm giving it all to you and your descendants I'm given. So there's a promise in chapter 12. There was a promise in chapter 13. And this promise was a miraculous promise, a bit out of stretch for the human capacity. And then we come to chapter 15. And this is where God asks, invites uh, Abraham to come outside the tent at night, to gaze into the sky, count the stars if you can, which of course he couldn't. And he says, I'm, God says, I'm going to make your descendants as many as the stars on this, in the sky. There's one problem. One problem in, in Genesis chapter 15. I remind you, in Genesis 12, when God gave him the first promise, he was 75 years old. By the time we get to Genesis chapter 15, where God says, count all the stars, you can look in the very beginning of the next chapter, 16, and you can figure out that at this moment, when God told him to count the stars, he was now 85. That's a 10-year gap. Now, I don't know at what point that we take a wait and not yet to a no. You know what I mean? So it's Year, you know, year one, hey, you know, come back, you got to tell your wife, hey, I know I'm 75, but I just had a conversation with a guy, he said we're going to have a baby. That's tough enough, right, with your wife. Uh, then, but what makes it a little bit tougher is like, uh, nope, still pink or blue, I'm, I forget how that thing works, whatever. <laughs> still no baby, no baby. Year two, no baby. Year three, no baby. 
The year four, no baby. Five, six. Okay, see the needle on my weightometer just fell off. Now I'm gonna go to my wife and say, hey, um, I think the answer is no. And I must have eaten something that day and I thought, God, it's not sound something to me, right? You ever had that moment like, man, I'm sure. And like, then I'm not quite sure. 10 full years of waiting. So Abraham begins to ask questions that I believe that we would say, that's justifiable that you would ask. Genesis chapter 15, we begin in verse seven. God also said to Abraham, I am the Lord who brought you up out of Ur, your previous location of the Chaldeans, to give you this land, the promised land, to take possession of it. But Abraham said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know? It's a great question. It's a reasonable question. It's a question that we all would say, how do I know, God? Because it has been a decade. You brought me out of the tent. You get me all excited. My wife was excited, not so excited anymore. It's been 10 years. How can I know? How can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said, bring me a heifer. Okay, a heifer is a female cow that hasn't had a baby. I'm, you are always the, the recipients of the benefit of me blowing it in the first service. I called it a heifer. Um, city boy doesn't know cows. That's all I'm saying. And after the 18th person came to me, I know it's a heifer. <laughs> you know, it's Steve, it's not a heifer. <laughs> it's a heifer. Now I know why people were laughing when I said a heifer. What they don't know is the original Hebrew is a heifer. Just kidding. It's really not. Sometimes you can get away with that. Sometimes you can't. Bring me a female cow that has never had a, a, a calf, a, high, a heifer, a goat, a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a pigeon. All right, let me preface something here. Sometimes I do. We're going to get heavy here for a second, okay? And it's going to require some thinking on your mind. But I always like to remind us that in our culture, most of us are tired of playing church. And most of us are tired of like, hey, can we just cover God loves us one more time? Okay, great. Now we're, we, we, God loves you. We're moving, we're moving on to something that's thought-provoking. This chapter is, in, in our culture, bizarre. It's, a, it's bizarre because we don't understand what was going on. And it's like, wow, that, that's crazy. And some really deep supernatural things were happening here. But let me, don't be afraid of thought-provoking levels because let me say, out of that, I believe you're going to see something that is so profoundly beautiful that I, I just think it's incredible. So, so hang on. All right, so God says, Abraham says to God, hey, how will I know? I need, I need some certainty. And so then God says, okay, go get the cow, the goats, the birds, etc." Abraham knew exactly what was going on. There was not like, if God said that to us, like, hey, that'd be weird. You know, okay, here, go get two cats, a dog, and a canary. Like, okay, you know, uh, fine, well, we'll do that. But that wasn't the case. In this culture, Abraham knew what was about to happen was a visible contract because this is how they did things in that day. And the way they did the contract was such that both parties were held responsible. 
when we go sign a mortgage note for a home, there is a, there's a responsibility on both parts. The bank is not going to come and just claim my house. They can't do that. They don't have that right, and neither do I have the right to just stop making payments or pay them whatever I'd like to pay them unless we've made a contractual agreement. We're bound by the contract. So in this day, when we look at the, the use of animals as sacrifice, it's nothing new here. You might remember that in Genesis, we are told in chapter 4, as early as 4, and for all you Bible studiers, this is way before the law. This is way before the law. In Genesis chapter 4, Cain and Abel brought a sacrifice. You remember Abel brought the sacrifice of a, the fat of an, of an animal. So God somewhere talked to them about this. You remember in the, uh, in the story of Noah that you know, all the animals came on two by two? Not true. Read the story. Some came on two by two, the unclean animals. The clean animals came in by sevens because when he stepped off the boat, he had a sacrifice service of the animals and he needed to have more than two because if he sacrificed one of only two, then there was no reproducing of the species anymore. God is brilliant. So now he says, go get this, you know, this heifer and this goat, et cetera, et cetera. He goes and gets them, and then he brings them back, and God gives them this instruction, chapter 15, verse 10, which Abraham already knew was going to take place. Abraham brought all these animals to God, and he cut them in two. And he arranged the halves opposite of each other. The birds, however, because they were small, he did not cut in half. Now, for those of you that have a weak stomach, I'm about to show you a picture so you can close your eyes for 30 seconds. And for, because I've said that, I know the third of you, uh, you know, would say, ah, I can't wait. What was he going to show us? Something really gross. This would be cool. So, you know, all, all levels in our church. So when I found a depiction of this uh, on the internet. Somebody drew this. And so you see the animals kind of in this little forged out area on both sides with the blood running through it. Okay. All right, so you can take that image off the screen if you would for those that are that freaked out and you know I've already talked about a pregnancy test and sawing animals in two. Welcome to 360. So glad you're here this morning. Yes. It's about to get crazier. Here's how the covenant worked. When you go into a bank and you say, I need a hundred thousand dollar loan, they're not gonna say, you know what, you kind of look honest. Here, here it is. Hey, let's shake on it. They're not gonna do that. They're going to make you sign an agreement by which you can be held responsible. You see, you defaulted on your loan, and I have it in writing. You're responsible. We're going to have to work this out. There's something that a person can go, that the institution can go back on. In that day, here we go. In that day, they took these animals, they split them in half, they shed their blood, and they, they you know, separated them on both sides. Whoa, here we go. And... And so then, hand in hand, both parties walked through the middle of these dead animals. Crazy for our culture, right? Crazy. But in that day, what it meant was this. As you and I are walking through, so let's say Chris and I are making an agreement. As Chris and I are walking through together, what we are saying that if any one of us, if either one of us fail on the contract, then we are dead like these animals. We deserve the death like we did these animals. They were playing for real. And as we walk through, 
This is what we're going. Now, remember the question. Remember the question that, that Abraham asked. How can I know? I'm in prayer. I've been asking for this thing. God, I need to know some things. And God says, okay, let me, let me tell you some things you're going to know. Let me tell you some, some things that you ought to know. So we just started in NFL. Season starts here in a few weeks. I saw a pregame last night, which are totally, you know, like they're kind of boring, but they started. And I'm intrigued by, you know, the main coach. He's got that, you know, 80s-style headset phone thing going on his head. And every time he speaks, you know what he does, right? Takes that little folder in his mouth and, or, or hides his mouth right in front of him. I don't know. You know, I'm, I guess that indicates that there are spies on the other side with telescopes or something like scoping out like, hey, he's going to call a Red Dog 33. Let's go on that one. I, I, I'm, uh, I guess that's what's happening. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been doing this. He's talking to a variety of people, but one of those people is the quarterback because the quarterback, most of you may, may know, that there's a speaker inside the quarterback's uh, helmet. And on the offensive team, there's only one that has a, a speaker in, a, in his helmet, and that's the quarterback, and the coach is speaking into him. Now, when you end a play in football, you've got 40 seconds in order to get to the next play. So you go back, they huddle, they do whatever, and then they got 40 seconds. The NFL cuts off the speaker system when that play clock, they call it, goes from 40 down to 15. So when, the, when you get to the 15-second mark, the speaker goes out, and now you've got to remember what the coach has said. Otherwise, during the play, you know, the ball's hiked. If the coach could speak into the you know, quarterback's head, hey, watch out, there's somebody behind you. <laughs> you know, that'd be kind of cool. I, I'd like to, wouldn't that be neat? Like, they, you know, run it faster. Hey, 39's behind you. Or, you know, they, they would, but that would be cheating, so they cut it off. So when God gives to us this, about what he's about to give to, to us, there is a time where the speaker's cut off and the play is now underway. The ball is hiked. And man, we're out there playing. And there's sometimes we have to remember the thing that the coach spoke into our head because there's sometimes in prayer, quite frankly, that the microphone goes dead. I wish I could stand here and tell you I've got an audible to God. And every gut punch in my life, I've clearly known what's going on. It just doesn't work that way. And I might as well be honest because you've experienced it at the same time. Sometimes in the roughest of plays, when you're getting banged around and you got the gut punch, man, I don't think the mic is working. The speaker seems dead. That's the mystery of prayer. So God is about to do something that's amazing, okay? Let me review. Bring the animals, split them in half, put them you know, where the blood flows down. Let's walk through together. And if you fail on your promise, you're as good as dead. You see, God held us to the standard held his people to the standard. Watch this, Jeremiah chapter 34, verse 18. God speaking to the men of Israel, the men who have violated my covenant and have not fulfilled the terms of the covenant they made before me, I will treat like the calf they cut in two and walk between its pieces. 
There's, there it is. I'm guessing that's not your memory verse, your life verse right there. God held people accountable to this. So watch. Abraham believed God, but God knows the heart of men. And just one year later, Abraham gives birth to a baby boy, but it's not the one that God wanted to give him because it came through another woman. Man of faith broke the contract. You wait for me, Abraham, to give to you a child through Sarah. And even though this strong man of faith credited to him as righteousness, God knew that he would fail and blow it. And he knew that if we walked through this covenant together, that Abraham, you'd be good as dead. See, God looks at us and says, I know, I know you've blown it. I know, I know you will blow it. So God does something marvelous in this chapter. Are you ready? The gospel is not written beginning in the book of Matthew. The gospel is written in the book of Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and Joshua and Judges and Ruth and Samuel. The gospel of Jesus is all the way through. This is why it was so cool when Christ came back after the resurrection. Hey, let me show you this one. Like, ah, wow, that's crazy. At least that's my version. <laughs> Open, that's true. Watch this. Instead of both of them walking through God and Abraham, God already knew that Abraham would blow it. So we see the gospel message where God says, I'll walk it for you. Watch this. Genesis chapter 15, verse 17. When the sun had set, darkness had fallen. A smoking fire pot and a blazing torch. We don't have the time to get into it. This is, this is God. Blazing, this is a symbol of his judgment and his purity, okay? We could spend a long time on that. But uh, a, a smoking fire, uh, fire pot and a blazing torch appeared and passed through the pieces alone. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. You see, we're trying to figure out what the play of the coach is. Here's the first play. It's a covenant play. Because when God walked through that thing alone, and he said, I know when things are not happening. I know you haven't got a baby yet. You're going to blame yourself. You're going to blame others. You're going to wonder. You're going to angst. You're going to do all that. But here's the thing. Or here's the first thing I want you to hold on to, Abraham. I am making a covenant with you that I cannot go back on. And no matter what happens or how long you got to wait, here's what I want you to know, son. I will never leave you. I will never leave you. Christ came down in the timeline of history, not just to talk about a contract, but he signed the contract with blood on a cross with his arms outstretched, saying no matter who you are, or where you've been, what you've done, and how long the gut punch feels, I am with you even to the end of the world. I wonder what you're going through right now because someone in this room has, th has thought that God has fa failed them. 
that God has left them, that God is angry with them, and we have a covenant, and now the, the ball is hiked, the mic is dead, but you've got to remember what the coach said, I'll never leave you. And he signed the contract for us on the cross. I find that profound and beautiful. Here's the second thing. When you get gut punched, poof, you begin to have this kind of, this micro view. Why is this happening to me? What is this going to mean? Our dishwasher just went out. And then I, two days later, I found out I got a pretty good sizable hole in my roof. Like, oof, oof, darn it. You know, sometimes little things. It's not gargantuan things. But, uh, and then what do I think? Oh, how are we going to make it through August? How, how are we going to make that? Do we have that? Uh, you know, how are my kids going to eat? Because I'm going to eat. How are they going to eat? I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. It's fine. Hey, you know that slice of American cheese has been back in the cheese drawer for about three months? That's yours now. No, just kidding. We just get a real micro view and we begin to ask. And God says, let me help you through this. Not only I want to give you this covenant, this cross and the timeline of history that you're going to have to remember in your speaker that I'll never leave you. When your darkest moments, remember the coach? He said, I'll never leave you. But here's the second thing. You've got to look up and think bigger. Watch what Abraham asked on this one. Genesis 15. Uh, back to Genesis 15. Uh, verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. I'm with you. But Abraham said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me? Very micro now. He's not saying, hey, how does this fit into your grander plan, God? No, about me. This is what happens in the gut punch. We, we're, we, bend, we bend over at the, at the waist. What can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. That was his servant. And so he, he uh, as we review, but watch what happens. Now, let me, let me just say that I am a firm believer that God breathed every word in the scripture. And then he puts, he puts details in there, not just to make it like a tasty novel, Hey, this will be an interesting detail that kind of spruce up the story. He puts details in there for a purpose, and now this gets a little heavy. Watch this. Abraham brought all these animals to him, cut them in two, arranged the halves opposite of each other, and the birds, of how, however, because they were too small, he did not cut in half. Then watch this. Then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. Okay, can you handle heavy? In the scripture, there are pictures of the evil forces that are in this world. Hey, we know a thimbleful of what's happening in the NSA and the CIA and the FBI and all that, right? There is another world, whether you know it, like it, understand it, and, and, and engage with it, embrace it, or whatnot. There's another world all around this globe that is engaged at a supernatural level. There's a fight for the kingdom. There are two kingdoms, a kingdom of darkness, a kingdom of light. This is not just, we're not playing church now, okay? I'm tired of Sunday school. How about you? We come together. There is, there's a supernatural battle going on. And so what happens when we see certain signals, like birds of prey, you remember when Jesus said, hey, the seed, told a parable, the seed, like the word of God, and it falls, and for some, the bird of prey, the birds of the air will come and snatch it away. 
He told a parable about a mustard uh, tree, mustard seed, a sign of faith. Once that tree grows, be careful because the birds of prey are going to come and park in it. Do you remember when Jesus stood before Jerusalem and he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I, how I've longed to gather you as chicks, as a hen gathers chicks underneath the wing. Do you know when that happens? You know, chickens, I don't know if you've noticed, I, you know, farm guy here. Hey, you can count on my uh, knowledge about that. Um, it's the hyphen in the chicken, so <laughs> just kidding. A chicken can't, doesn't have the capacity to go, whoa, whoa, whoa there's a hawk. He, he, a chicken, his neck can't crane up like that. So a chicken, a hen, sees a shadow of the hawk on the ground, instinctively opens the wings, and the chicks know to come right under it to protect the chicks from the hawk, the bird of prey coming down. Read in the book of Revelation for you Bible studiers about the birds of prey in the book of Revelation. Listen, this is not just a tasty little story like I said. I'm like, hey, you know what? Let's just put in there birds of prey. Here's the deal, okay? Let me get heavy with you. Whatever is happening, that gut punch in your life, it's not about you. There could be a greater kingdom purpose that God wants to use whatever that gut punch is in your life. Whatever that thing is, it will help you get through it by saying, you know what, it's not about me. This job loss, this job change, this, uh, this uh, marriage tension, this my runaway teenager's uh, son, daughter, whatever that thing, whatever that thing is, God can use for a certain purpose. And let me add this, maybe it was your fault, God can still use it. There are too many people that said, I blew it in 1983 and therefore God could never use me. That is not the truth of the Bible. There's not a single person sitting here today who has breath in their lungs that God says, I'm not done with you. You may say, I had an abortion in 1983. Then God will say, let me use that brokenness and that, that, that uh, mistake that you made and let me use that in the life of someone else that maybe is about to make that decision that you could come into her life and say, let me tell you what I've gone through. Or maybe it's someone who's already had that. Can I walk through that with you? I've been through a divorce. Let me help you walk through a divorce. I've lost a child. Let me help you walk. This is all about the kingdom so that we help one another out. It's never about you. Abraham says, God, what can you give me? He says, I'm not giving you anything, dude. This is not about a friendly God having mercy on an old man because he didn't have children. This is about a kingdom and a, and a, and a line of descendants through which the Messiah of the world was about to come through. How come I can't have Ishmael because it's a kingdom I'm building, and there's some information, Abraham, that you don't know, and you're not entitled to. And when I feel entitled to scream to God, why? All he has to say is, because I love you, and you've got the privilege of using this for kingdom purposes, and suddenly the gut punch isn't as strong. So the next time ugh, you get a punch, and while you're down here, just go ahead and bow a knee. Say, God, for your kingdom, for your kingdom, God. Because the birds of prey 
the sacrifice. Here's the final thing, and maybe the hardest thing. It's that waiting. It's that waiting. And it seems forever. And we're on, when you're on the backside of waiting, you know what I mean? Like if you went through, through something, it was like 12 years, and it was really hard, and that, now you're removed from that. You look back and think, hey, it was only 12 years. It doesn't seem so long at the time. And you think, man, I've really grown. I've, I'm a better person. My character's developed and all those things as you're looking back. But I tell you, on year six of 12, dude, it's like, when is this over? And some people never get over the rest of their lives. There's no indication that Paul ever got rid of the thorn. He lived with the rest of his life. Abraham had that baby, the baby that was promised to him when he was 75 years old. Do you know how old he was when he had the baby? A hundred. That's a long time to hold on to the baby shower gifts. Now watch this. Here's what makes it better. Here's what makes it better. Genesis 15, verse 12. As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. That deep sleep, same words as used with Adam when God caused him to be in a deep sleep. Then the Lord said to him, I'm going to give you some information. You don't get it all the time, but I'm going to give you some information. Watch this. Know for certain. Know for certain. Know for certain, Abraham. I know you're really anxious and worried. I got this. I got this. Let me tell you. This is called prophecy that you're about to read. Predicting, foretelling the future. Know for certain that... Abraham, your descendants will be strangers in the country, not their own. He's speaking of Egypt. Hadn't happened yet. And they will be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. Let me be specific with you, Abraham, because I know exactly how long this gut punch is going to last. You can relax in me. You can be certain that I know every day, month, week, second when things are going to change. Know for certain Verse 14, but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards my people will come out with great possessions, just like they did. Exodus 13, 14, 15. Uh, You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried in a good old age. In the fourth generation, not the third, not the the fourth, fifth, but in the fourth generation exactly, your descendants will come back here in this promised land, for the sin of the Amorites has not reached its full measure. That's who was living in the land. I know about you. I know about your enemies. I know about the timeline. I know about Egypt. I know about the slavery. I know about the possessions you'll have. I know every single detail. Would you know for certain that whatever you're going through, that God knows every single inch of it? And therefore, you can say, hey, cool. Now I can stop fretting. That's why Paul said these words. And of this gospel, I was appointed as appointed to be a herald, an apostle, and a teacher. This is why I'm suffering as I am, yet I am not ashamed because I know who I have believed in, and I am, would you say it with me, convinced that God is able to guard what I've entrusted to him to that day. This morning, we had a baptism 
in our church, our first inside baptism. For, the, for those of you that are new, like, hey, what does that mean? We used to do them outside and couldn't have them all that frequently, so we're going to be having them here. And for each person getting baptized, we invite them to tell their story. And uh, some of these we'll, we're going to put on film as we did this one. And so since we have two services, we're going to baptize them again. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Maybe, hey, wait a minute, that's not, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, and this story uh, was so amazing and outstanding, I wanted to share it with you today. Name is, name is David Lazeski. And uh, Jim Childs, our associate pastor, baptized David today because they're both in our breakthrough ministry. And as you look at David's story this morning, and uh, we're going to worship afterwards, by the way, we intended to shorten on the front side, so I'm just going to ask the band, you can come on up if you want as I, we get ready for this film. But as you, as you look at David's story, here's the thing I want you to, to kind of keep your radar open for. I want you to think about the time, the years that there were those praying for David. And some praying longer than it took Abraham to have his child, 25 years. To give us hope and encouragement in the darkest hour that God knows everything about it, that God has promised to be with us, and that there are greater kingdom purposes. Let's take a listen to David's story. My name's David Lazeski. I am the prodigal child. I was brought up in a Christian home and I um, accepted Jesus when I was nine. But in my teens, I started having a same-sex attraction and I ran towards that uh, because I didn't really know how to reconcile that with God. I lived a life in that gay lifestyle for 30 years. You know, um, God blessed my life, uh, gave me the riches of this world, but you know, throughout every time you get that new home, that new car, that next success, that next goal, God always leaves that hole that can never be filled, that can only be filled with Christ. And for me, having all the blessings that God can pour on me only made that hole bigger and bigger. Until that moment of surrender when you come to the end of yourself and you realize that there's something much larger than what this world offers. And so I was searching for that and that's when I found it on um, March 13th, 2016. I watched a video that was entitled How Jesus Would Preach to the LGBT Community and it caught my attention. And as I watched that video, um, 1 Corinthians 6 verses 9 to 11 was part of that. And those words um, where it says that, you know, homosexuals will not inherit the kingdom of God. But those five words, that is what you were. I found freedom in those words. Because I bought into that I was born this way. And I was like, wait a minute. If that says that is what you were, then that's not who I am. And if that's not who I am, then I am acceptable to Christ. 
And it was in that verse that I found complete redemption. I surrendered my life to Christ on that day. And my life has never been the same. And walked away from that life for Christ. I am standing here today in obedience to be baptized in front of all of you um, and to continue to surrender my life to Christ. So all I can say to everyone that is watching, when you have someone out there who you're praying for, my parents prayed for me for 30 years that this would happen. And so all I can encourage you is to continue to pray because I am the example of that prodigal that you're praying for.